Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, A College of Magics by Carolyn Stevermer. I forgot to look up how to pronounce her name. It was published in <laughs> 1994. I'm so sorry. I always want to start every episode with the confidence and polish of a stereo lab. Yes. A radio lab, not stereo lab. (laughs) So bad. I was like, what's stereo lab? I meant radio lab. Oh my God. You know, let's not redo this. Let's just keep this in all of its wonderful mess. Onwards and upwards. College of Magics, published in 1994. This is the first of a trilogy about young Ferris. As she becomes the Warden of the North and the ruler of Galazon and what have you, or at least what remains of it. And uh, wow, do I love this book. Yeah. My goodness. Had such a great time reading this one. This was a pick sourced from the boxes of old paperbacks from our mom's garage. I looked at it and immediately was taken back to a world that I had pretty much completely forgotten. Mm -hmm. Um, Carolyn Stevermer, I remember more from her set of books with Patricia C. Reedy. Mm. Um, We've covered Sorcery and Cecilia or The Enchanted Chocolate Pot, if you'd like to check that one out. But we haven't covered any of her standalone novels before, so really excited to get into this. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before or would like to re-experience it before we get into the nitty-gritty of it all, um, go check it out. It is long, but it is a very compelling, pretty quick read. Yeah. There is not an audiobook available because, as I found during this process, this book is not that discussed mm-hmm. or like well-known on the internet. Yeah. But that just shows me that we've succeeded in picking one of the right books for yes. us to be covering. Yes. <laughs> Whenever people are like, Oh, how many people listen to your podcast? I'm like, you know, we're a niche group. We're a small set of individuals. That's what I always say, And we want to stay that way. Yeah. (laughs) Like the fact that all of y'all who listen and communicate with us, like no one has ever said an unkind word. No No one has ever shown anything other than like deep abiding enthusiasm for these incredible texts. And that's where we would like to remain (laughs) so whenever there's someone with like just like some gross marketing person or whatever who's like well don't you want your podcast to grow and I'm like no (laughs) we're good we're we're gonna cover a college of magics next (laughs) didn't we get reached out to by a purveyor of like white noise for babies well that was really funny yeah we we just (laughs) accidentally stumbled into someone's link outreach software yeah and they since our name is dragon babies they naturally thought that our podcast would speak good white noise for babies to listen Dragon to. sounds. I don't know. There were definitely some crosswires. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've we've never even had a single troll. And uh, I kind of expected that, like two sisters, two women having a podcast together. Yeah, I was um, a little worried when we started about what unpleasantness would arise. But I think since it's an audio medium, mm-hmm. there is 
people who will dislike it and be mean about it simply do not engage with it. They won't find us, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> thank you, fans. It's You're really lovely. They don't know who Carolyn Stebermer is, but we do. Well, now I do. <laughs> Well, we've covered one of her books before. <laughs> the one I just mentioned, the one she wrote with Patricia Seerity. With Ciridi. Patricia Seerity, yeah. yeah. So, uh, spoiler alert, we will thoroughly spoil. Go and read. Let's break down how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. The uh, childhood edition that we've managed to hold on to is a Starscape book. <laughs> that <laughs> is the imprint. Um, I'm not sure. There's all kinds Starscape. of fonts going no, on. There's, there's some wild <laughs> nonsense happening on this cover. <laughs> so... First, we have a beautiful painting, cover art by Tom Kidd. Which I do like. A painting of Ferris reaching wistfully out of a tower. I'm assuming this is the Green Lawn Tower, since yeah. that's kind of where the book the begins. The Pepper Pot and Tower. Ends. Yeah, the Pepper Pot Tower. Yeah. And there are smoky tendrils emanating from her palm and sparkles flying around her hair is flowing out ablaze in all its glory behind her and she has on what i think is the black like academic robe mm. that they wear when they're at greenlaw um with a stiff white collar uh i guess maybe this could be later in the book it could be like her messed up gown from the party it's a little hard to tell because the tower appears frequently throughout and like in both a physical and metaphysical sense um but it's it's pretty glorious there are these weird like spike elements that are creeping in around the corner that are repeated on the back and there's a lot of like sparkles Lots of sparkles. A College of Magics is writ large in a uh, very uh, calligraphied sort of medieval font. Yeah. And at the bottom, then we go to more like sci-fi direction. Yes. <laughs> very pointy text that says Carolyn Stevermer. And a hilarious, um, like excerpted and looking kind of mangled quote from Jane Yolen that says, a large step up, dot, 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 <laughs> from Harry Potter. <laughs> And they actually put the full quote on the back oh, at the bottom. Yes. I just realized. Yeah. 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 But I just love the shade from Jane Yolen on the cover of this book. It's really funny. Um, this was published long before Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, it did come first. So this and is it, a, a later edition. Yes. Yeah. This is not an original um, printing. original printing of the book. Yeah, the full quote is a large step up in both lyrical language and emotional sweep from Harry Potter, a place where girls shine and the magic is touched by the numinous. So the full quote is actually even more damning. <laughs> than the and I do agree with her. Like, and yes, yeah, we agree. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really incredible book. Shall we go into a plot summary? Yeah, The book is very long, as we mentioned, and it is in three parts, something which I'm just realizing is an ode to Jane's three-volume novels that are referenced throughout the book. Okay, so I'm going to do a character list. Okay, go for it. Ferris is a duchess, and she is the heir to Galazan. She has an uncle who is scheming. He's basically the steward of Galazan until she comes of age. He 
sends her off because he doesn't want her around mm-hmm. messing with his plans uh, and for other reasons that we find out later. She goes to the college at Greenlaw. She goes with uh, Reed, and then there's an older man as well whose name escapes me, but he's not a very big character in the book. It's Gavrin, I'm pretty okay. sure. Okay. Or no, is that somebody else? I think it was Gavrin. Either way. Um, and then she also finds out pretty quickly that there's a man named Tyrion uh, just kind of skulking around uh, who is basically her protector. Mm-hmm. At Greenlaw, there are several characters of note, including Minari, who is the daughter of the king of a... The Plaginal family, or Paginal. Paginal. Yeah. Um, and that kingdom kind Averill. of... Averill and Galazon have like a little bit of a weird relationship, Um just because of relationships, marriage, and like basically Avril kind of wants to have Galazon as a, uh, what would you call it? Vassal state. Yeah. And like the geographically, it's all kind of confused too. Because it's all like tied up into Europe. <laughs> yes. And, and th- but, but this is all a fake country obviously mm-hmm. yeah um but we're but it is said somewhere in europe mm-hmm. and there are very real places that they visit and are mentioned throughout and are also important to these countries mm-hmm. um and have ambassadors there and things like that so Avril is a seat of some power somewhere mm-hmm. in europe yeah and galazon is its own sovereign nation but it's really like a collection of families and sort of yeah. fiefdoms it's it's a lot less um imperial mm-hmm. than Avril. Mm-hmm. uh so minari is the daughter of the king of Avril, mm-hmm. and then there's also jane at the college who becomes ferris's friend um there is also the dean at the college who is, she, you know, she's the dean. She's she does dean. dean stuff. <laughs> and uh, those are the main characters for a good, a good bulk of this book. Um, later on, we do come into contact with a, I don't know, con man he's a flim flam man <laughs> he's a flim flam man <laughs> he calls himself a monarchist but he reads anarchist theory and mm-hmm. he's just very um you know he's an opportunist basically yeah he's he's not actually driven by any um philosophy right or desire to actually put a rebellion in place yeah. um for the state of the people Mm -hmm. it's just so he can make money he got a bunch of money from austria to do this yeah he tricked austria into funding his uh meddling with a foreign regime um which is i mean that's how it works with the cia so yeah um (laughs) like i believe it uh i don't tom thomas o bedlam tom o bedlam is his like stage name uh i don't remember his actual name that's fine and then who who else? We also have Hilarion, uh, who is a he's like a mystical presence that used to be a person. 
<laughs> so I I'd love like how to... quickly we're getting into the um, sort of intangible nature of a lot of the book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he wants to be Ferris's ally. In fact, he is. And then we also have Agnes, who is Minari's sister, also the daughter of the King of Averil, uh, who marries Brinker, who is Ferris's uncle, and then they have a bebe, and the Prosperian. Be- the bebe is named Prosperian. Oh, well, a young lady bebe named Prosperian. Which is significant because that was the name of Ferris's grandmother, who um, did some magical jumble and opened like a rift in space time yeah. that's making like realities squoosh together and yeah. it's no good yeah. it's no good really for anyone. causing some problems yeah um okay so going back to the story to be- green law yes ferris doesn't want to be at green law um she feels like she's being exiled for nefarious purposes so for a while she d- kind of just doesn't care she's not engaging with her studies uh it takes her a while to make friends but when she finally does uh those friends stop calling her ferret behind her back (laughs) (laughs) and that's how you know you got a real one (laughs) yes exactly and her there's a few others in that group but her like best friend is jane and she and Jane indulge in uh, three novel romances in the study room instead of doing their studying. Uh, and Jane is also ahead of Ferris in school. Um, so at some point they sneak out into town to Gallivant and they attack a, or Ferris attacks a sailor who has like uh, nefarious purpose towards one of her Has friends. Has tricked one of her friends. Yeah. <laughs> nefarious purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <I> tricked one. <laughs> you nefarious purposed me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the main point at which she finds out that Tyrion is like looking out for her. A, a calm blonde man who's just always hanging out nearby. Keep yes. an eye. And who looks like Carrie Yule's in Princess Bride. <laughs> According to Madeline. <laughs> so they also suspect that Minari is somehow involved because Minari's terrible. She's just running around being a jerk to everyone. Spreading gossip about Ferris's family mm-hmm. and her not so reputable claim to the throne. Yeah, and she uh, spreads gossip that Ferris's mother slept with a sailor and that's where Ferris came from rather than like from her father but because that it's funny because it doesn't matter because um the line of succession also follows uh like female Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like a male line of succession but Mm -hmm. it is like you know it's a insult Mm -hmm. um but Ferris eventually gets to a place where she doesn't care um And Minari has her father send a letter to the dean, um, basically like accusing Ferris uh, after a conversation they have. Um, But the dean like understands. Of blackmail. Yeah, yeah. The the dean basically understands uh, what happened. Um, So eventually, oh, and during this whole time, Ferris does not go home to Galazan. She stays at the university. Um, 
Partly for financial reasons, partly because she and and it's a long trip, and she also has such a yearning for Galazon that mm-hmm. she's scared of whether she'd be able to really make herself come back. Mm-hmm. And th- her last summer there is really instructive because Jane has graduated, mm-hmm. and she begins teaching Ferris about magic. Yes, so magic in this book is very intangible. It is. Not at all. Um, I mean, again, with the like Harry Potter dig, <clears throat> it feels much more natural and believable mm-hmm. because it it's much more tapping into like the natural energies of the world mm-hmm. instead of just being like, there's a spell in one of the books, I don't know, where like Dumbledore waves his wand and then the Great Hall fills with purple sleeping bags. And I'm always just like, now where did, come on, where did those come from? What what cosmic injustice have you done? Yeah, right. Somewhere a star explodes. Per- yeah. <laughs> but at least the students have their sleeping bags. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about balance. It's all about um, keeping energies in line with one another. Mm-hmm. And around Green Law, there are special wards that make magic more accessible and more potent. Mm-hmm. And in the rest of the world, magic is more difficult to access. Yes. So Ferris gets to a point where she actually starts studying Um right before Jane graduates, right before she gets called to do her ritual, which is how one graduates from her, Green Law. Well, first their vigil. Sorry, mm-hmm. their vigil their vigil is kind of like an important component to them mm-hmm. getting to that point. Mm-hmm. If like if they can't if they don't succeed at that, then they're not gonna be like a witch of Green Law. And your vigil is staying up all night, keeping watch, and during that night you see something. Yeah. <laughs> something. <laughs> so Ferris's vigil, she gets the paper, like the mysterious little paper saying that it's her vigil. And then she goes out into the garden that night and Minari is there too. And it's obvious then that Minari's vigil was called that night as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Minari is being frightening. She's doing bad vibes. She's being like, come with me. Like, yeah, come over here do our with vigil me. together. Yeah. And uh, so Ferris is like, nah. And she leaves and she she goes to sit right by the north ward all night. Um, and the only thing she sees is geese uh, like coming up over the horizon, which is important because that's a Galazon thing. So quickly, it's not the north ward that she sits at. It's where the anchors of Greenlaw College come together. Oh, okay. So that's why when after she does her vigil... The dean is very frustrated with her and is like, you know that to be near those is to risk some kind of upset to the balance. Okay. And I also it has like strong like north word or whatever. The north word is where the rift is. I thought it was like the north word of the college. It doesn't matter. No. It's where they meet. Okay. Uh, and then when she's coming back from her vigil, she finds Minari still being terrifying and she has like a black cat that she's um like kind of being like ah you're mine and uh, Ferris goes up to her and then she sees the cat's eyes and she realizes that it's Tyrion and uh, like uses her magic to uh, 
make Tyrion stop being a cat. Mm-hmm. And then Minari tries to use her magic to light Ferris's hair on fire, and Minari's hair lights on fire instead because it just like hit a wall and bounced back at her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they all end up in the dean's office after this. Understandably. Uh, they both get expelled, um, but the dean clearly knows something is going on now. And she tells Ferris that she has to go to uh, Paris. To Paris. Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying Ferris. Oh, no. Like, to Paris. I said. <laughs> Ferris to Paris, please. That she, yeah, she has to go to Paris to see um, Hilarion. And uh, doesn't really tell Ferris why. Just tells her, like, she can't remain her. She's, like, beyond what the college can give her. Uh, and she sends Jane with her as well. And because Reed had shown up like the night prior, he, like at the perfect time to be like, hey, your dad says you have to come home now. Mm-hmm. And then Ferris immediately gets expelled. <laughs> yeah, it worked out pretty well. So, Not your dad, your uncle. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, your threatening father figure. Her dad is dead. Exactly, yes. Um, so her, Jane, Reed, and Tyrion all leave together. They're going to go to Paris. On their journey to Paris, they get attacked. Um, someone tries to poison uh, Ferris with um, cyanide. Yeah, they <clears throat> they use some like sort of Victorian word for it. Yeah, um, yeah, but she's given poison coffee by a disguised waiter in the dining car of the train. Yeah, and it's it's funny because cyanide is uh, it's not a quiet death, so like people on the train would notice that she had just been assassinated, but I they didn't care. I don't I don't think that was part of their deal. Um, and so uh, Tyrion makes sure that that man ends up tied up in the luggage compartment, and they all go back there to find out what's going on. Uh, and then uh, Ferris thinks that it's her uncle who's trying to mm-hmm. kill her. Mm-hmm. And that's when they get off the train and take like back roads to Paris. Mm-hmm. Or is that when they're leaving Paris for Galazon? That's after. Yeah, that's when they go to Galazon. Okay. So uh, they end up in Paris. Um, Jane insists that Ferris properly outfit herself, which is like Ferris is not happy about that, understandably. Ultimately, it was a good idea because she ends up at the royal court. Yeah. And she did need those clothes. It's, it's, I, I love that Jane has proved right time and time again yeah. throughout the rest of the book that there are so many circumstances under which Ferris needs really nice clothes and a variety of clothes. Riding yeah. clothes, gown, like more academic, dignitary type clothes, all of which are procured procured for her and made for her body in Paris. Yeah, which, you know, sounds kind of nice. When I was in Paris, I didn't have any clothes except the ones I wore in the airplane. Yeah, ironically, (laughs) Madeline's luggage was lost. (laughs) Hilarious. So they find Hilarion and they go into his um, digs. And uh, when they eventually, Ferris can see him insubstantially uh, lurking in his chair. No one else can really see him. And uh, he explains some important things to her. One, that she's the warden of the North, 
that her grandmother Prosperian ripped open a hole in the space-time continuum and they have to, like, she has to fix it. There's three other wardens and they've been waiting for her to appear because they need four wardens to do it. Each of the cardinal directions has their own domain through which they ensure the balance of magics and Mm -hmm. time and space and all the other important things that keep us from becoming untethered and just blasting into a void. Yes. And Hilarion also, like, wink-winks at Tyrion and is like, what did I hire you for? And we find out that Tyrion wasn't just hired by Brinker by her uncle, but rather he was put there by um, Hilarion. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes his presence a lot less sinister. Yeah. Um, That's when we can really begin to completely trust him. Although he's mm-hmm. shown time and time again that he's a trustworthy dude. That he's got her back. Yeah. yeah. And he also, um, he ends up telling her that he like doesn't work for Brinker anymore. And now he works for her mm-hmm. because his job is to make sure she's safe. And because she saved his life by changing him back from a cat and getting him out from under Minari's sway. Yeah. Minari's sway. Um, yes. So the North Ward is in Avaril um, where Prosperian ripped it open. Uh, so now it's like, okay, we got to go to Galazon, and then from there we have to go to Avril. Because she still doesn't even know what her uncle's message that she urgently had to come home even is about. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. Yes. So in traveling to uh, Galazon, they again have to take evasive maneuvers because of a plot to uh, kill Ferris. Um, there's a bomb that they find and Jane deals with that by turning the bomb into a beautiful hat. (laughs) But it still wants to be a bomb. So for the rest of the book, Jane is just keeping it as a hat. Uh, And then they end up leaving all of their luggage on the train um, and taking back roads. Uh, and on their way to Galazon. Much to Jane's displeasure. She's very concerned that luggage isn't going to reach its destination. And Madeline, given your experience, I think it's valid. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so on en route to Galazon, they come across um, Ferris's like childhood sweetheart, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like very young sweetheart. Yeah, like totally. Knife. <laughs> right, totally yeah. tame. They yeah. like spend a summer together in the yeah. woods roaming yeah. around. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, Woodrill? Is that his last name? Like Ward Woodrill or something? <laughs> I was just gonna <laughs> call him her childhood sweetheart. <laughs> okay, sorry, go ahead. Uh, he is heading a novice group of bandits. <laughs> Um, because, uh, as he tells Ferris, her uncle has jacked up the taxes so much that no one can afford to pay them. Um, so he, he helps her, at, you know, after trying to rob her once he figures out who she is, um, and kind of, uh, lets her take a beat and then sends her off on her way to her uncle's, um, before this point, Ferris has discovered that Brinker got married and has a kid, um, so she shows up at Galison and it immediately we're like, oh yeah, Brinker is kind of like bad vibes. 
But he, like, delights in being bad vibes. He's such a funny villain. Yeah, because he's not, like, the big bad. Right. And you understand, too, once you meet him, that he's not as awful as you were expecting him to be. Um, But he very much delights in annoying and frustrating Ferris and vice versa. Like, they have that kind of relative relationship where Mm -hmm. it's, like, you sort of hate each other, but you don't want the other one to come to harm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right away, Ferris pulls a gun on him and <laughs> threatens to shoot him <laughs> because she thought that he's the one who's been sending assassins after her. Um, and important to note, his new wife is Agnes mm-hmm. of the Pageant paginal family um yeah. so now he's more aligned with the throne of Averil. Mm-hmm. yeah and she's really annoying um yeah like not as bad as her sister but a nightmare like, in yeah, her own right a nightmare and i was surprised that brinker didn't like call the guards um instead he was just kind of like you're not gonna shoot me <laughs> He's very weirdly calm all of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So she shoots a hole in the floor, uh, and uh, that's that. Um, And then later on when she is observing, um, like, armors, heirlooms and such in the gallery um, with Brinker and Tyrion, uh, a man who is supposed to be the, like, duster or something the restorer he, he brinker says he showed up a few days ago and he hired him to catalog all of the weapons okay yeah um so he's handling a large sword he turns around and goes to kill ferris and then brinker shoots him dead uh and ferris is like i didn't know like you're not one to carry a gun and he's like well i mean <laughs> You tried to shoot me. It's <laughs> protection from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought that was a great scene. It was. Yeah. Uh, and that man is supposedly Copenhagen. Yeah, Copenhagen, who is this like famed killer for hire yeah. that Tyrion has encountered before. Yeah, which I also, again, like, how is he planning on getting out of that situation? I don't know. Like these murder attempts are just like not well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that one is truly like um I, I don't know, you're going to your death in yeah. order to complete your mission. Yeah, in which case that, why should they even pay you? Yeah, it okay. doesn't it doesn't seem like he deserves to be that famous to me. <laughs> the the other funny Brinker thing that happens is when he and Ferris go to take like a tour of the countryside in a sled to and like show, show the people back. that mm-hmm. she's there. Like she's like, you can't wear a hat. They have to see your red hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, she starts like asking him questions. I don't know if she finds out now or later that he wants her to become the ambassador to Avril, and that's mm-hmm. why he called her back. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, what she's so curious about is why the dang taxes are so high right and, and he, he to the point tell that her. people are being forced to turn to banditry like mm-hmm. warren woodroll i looked up his actual name and okay good 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 and then in a just a perfect brinker move he uh, asks her if she is as uh 
easily swayed by her mother by her menial paramour. Mm-hmm. And Ferris flips out on him, like physically attacks him and pushes him out of the sled and continues on without him. It's just such a good scene, honestly. It really is. And it leads to a lot of amazing gossip. Yeah. Um, like that they had a fight to the death out yeah. on the sleigh ride, but then she came back unbothered and the horses were fine and just yeah. like put them away and said nothing to anyone. Yeah. And she does eventually send a horse like back out to him like these are the exact chaos vibes that i would want to sow if i were in her situation just like throw everyone off their game absolutely uh so ferris feeling sheepish about her relationship with Tyrion, but still trusting him and wanting him around um but also just like feeling weird about it because he is her servant and there's like a hierarchy um that these people are beholden to for for propriety or some such yeah um she's like okay we're gonna go to Avril because that's where the north ward is anyways and i'm a diplomat now so they go i think pretty quickly when they get to uh Avril is when she like takes her letter of certification to the king. Wait, I think we've been saying it wrong the entire time. I think it's Erevis, not Avril. <laughs> what is Avril? It's just come to our attention that we've been saying the name of the kingdom wrong the entire time. I don't know what Avril is, but it felt right to me. It felt right to me too. It's actually called Erevis. Totally different words. So I'm sorry, everyone. I don't, the more professional I set out to make an episode, (laughs) the more this kind of thing seems to happen. I just want to do this book justice. It's amazing. They love it. Anyway, they're going to Erevis. No one's going to Avril. (laughs) Avril is nothing. I'm sorry. So after she gets to Avaris? Erevis. Clearly, there's some magic at work here, and we're not meant to know about it. Okay, that place that she gets to. She goes to see the king. The king kind of grosses her out, and he grants her diplomatic status, and then she finds... But he's being really, like, forward with her, but in a very sneaky way yeah it's very uncomfortable being around him yeah like we, we don't like him no from the moment he shows up it's just like oh yeah and, and his th- lips are chapped you're a king and you can't take care of your chapped lips he needs some self-care and, and it sounds like he's like a big drinker which yeah. is evident in his <clears throat> um visage as mm-hmm. well uh so then Ferris has to do all these like events with the diplomats because being a diplomat sounds completely exhausting. Um, and, and very little of it is actually related to setting policy. <laughs> yeah, it's all just schmoozing. Yeah, because you're just like building relations between yeah. the different nations. So one such trip she has to go on is uh, a hunt, a fox hunt. Um, and she uh, hops on her horse and heads off and the king is being weirdly like, Oh, I'm going to ride by you and be creepy at you. And uh, they get to, she finds out prior that there is this labyrinth in a garden, Mm -hmm. um, that she should never go in because like then the king can supposedly like control you. Yeah. There's this famed landscape designer who has created, the labyrinth as well as some other places like Versailles 
and um, Kensington Gardens and his work is such that time passes differently when you're in one of these places so that it has the pleasing effect but also scary effect of you not wanting to leave the space and also not knowing how much time has passed while you're in it and this labyrinth at the King's Country House is a little more sinister because if you go into the labyrinth you won't be able to leave until the king wants you to be able to leave yes and uh, and of course ferris heads right there during the hunt she just hops right in there (laughs) knowing this and she goes into the labyrinth and in the labyrinth is minari being a terrifying uh, pixie woman as usual and she She made a deal with a bunch of foxes in order to throw off the hunt and presumably deliver Ferris to her. Yeah. Or or also just, like, create chaos. Yeah, and Minari is basically just, like, mean to Ferris, and then Ferris is like, oh, I only came here because I was curious, and then Minari gets really mad. Mm -hmm. Um, And she basically says, well, if you want to gawk at a prisoner there are better places to do it Mm -hmm. yeah uh so she leaves but all of us are disappointed that minari is is still around and uh, after they do the hunt um when did she find out what brinker did not until after 12th night okay yeah okay so there's a party there's a big Twelfth Night party. A costume party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She gets invited, but no one else does. So they uh, counterfeit invitations for Jane, Reed, and Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to this party. I thought it was funny that Tyrion did a wolf mask because that's what Geralt does in The Witcher 3 when he goes to yep. the costume party. <laughs> <laughs> And and Tyrion does it because Jane is going as Little Red Riding Hood. Right, yeah. And Jane Jane's pretty excited. She likes to dress up. <laughs> and she's wearing her bomb hat as well. Yeah. Literally a bomb hat, but also a bomb it hat. It is both, yeah. <laughs> so they go in. Everyone wants to dance with Ferris. Um, she's gone as smoke in a beautiful gown and veil. Yeah, it That has embroidery cool. that sounded incredible of like silver tendrils creeping up from the bottom of the screen and the veil goes all the way like down yeah, to the floor it's a serious that sounds fantastic um and also <laughs> the tomo bedlam shows up like just kind of strolls into the party this cracked me up that everyone's just like <gasps> i know everyone's like um not invited but then the king is like whatever no one stops Don't do him yeah right he just like goes and starts eating pastries <laughs> And comes up to Ferris and starts calling her your majesty. Yeah. And everyone's like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ruffled. And he's really putting her in a lot of danger by doing that because it's like treason. Yeah. Um, But the king, uh, like, drags her to a garden where there are lions. Um, It's actually the destroyed throne room. Okay. Which is where the rift was created by her grandmother. Mm -hmm. And then there was a horrible fire that destroyed a lot of the castle. So they, quote unquote, keep lions there to keep people from going in the ruins, which to me seems like an inefficient (laughs) security measure. Um, But you do you, I guess. Uh, and mostly lions lay around. No, like, I, yeah. 
like, yeah, they hunt sometimes, but. And also, well, I mean, of course, this is like a horrible situation for the lions. Like, there's no way that living yeah. in a destroyed throne room is going to be fulfilling for them. Sound good um, at all. But then also, yeah, they're not like guards. It, it would yeah. make a lot more sense to just have dogs, but whatever. Yes. Um, so they go to the throne room where the rift is. And the king starts putting the moves on okay. Ferris. Yeah. And like telling her that he wants to marry her and they can be together. In- yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. I didn't gross. like it at all. Bad touch. No, very bad touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then he falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> because Jane put him to sleep. Well, we actually find out later that Minari did it. Mm. Yeah. Um, because she was trying to disrupt things. Um, but he goes to sleep and then Jane's bomb hat goes off, um, because she and Ferris are changing places and disguising themselves as each other to help Mm -hmm. keep her safe and carry out this plan so that Ferris can get to the warden's gate that Mm -hmm. she has the one key for get in and mend the rift somehow. As they say again and again, leading up, this really isn't even a plan. (laughs) really don't yeah we're all running off in different directions doing incredibly complicated things like while disguising ourselves as each other and hoping nobody notices and hoping there aren't any like obstacles thrown in the way magic yeah (laughs) (laughs) so sorry please continue but that's what happens thank you uh so Tyrion grabs ferris and they end up like just sprinting off through the city try to get away from the guards um, who are they've lost track of Jane and Reed? Mm-hmm. Jane's disguise has been found out. The king is like, throw them both in the dungeon. Yeah, but Ferris turns to the British ambassador and is like, she is a citizen of Britain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Be sure that she's properly cared for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, her her interior bolt, and they end up um opening the door to uh, what's it called. The world's end close. Yeah, and they like slip in. World's end close or close. I don't don't know. And then the doorkeeper, I think he's called. Yeah, the doorman comes out and starts being menacing at them. He's terrifying. Yeah. I love how little time he gets, but he's very scary. So they end up running and uh, Ferris, it's like underground. There's water. Ferris slips and uh, like knocks herself out basically and when she wakes up again Tyrion is not there she's in a place that is 90% mud um lying on a bed and there's on like, a table on a table and there's books and papers around um and then uh Thomas O Bedlam comes in and was like he's just exhausting <laughs> It's so exhausting. <laughs> he like oscillates between like, I'm mischievous, I'm powerful, mm-hmm. I'm a rebel, I'm a hot guy. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a exactly. little of everything. And he kisses it's Ferris. Sad. Yeah, he like suddenly kisses her. Surprise kiss. And then she's like, no. And then he springs back all injured. Like, what do you take me for? I'd be like, what do you do? And meanwhile, Ferris is mad at herself because she's like, oh, why is this hot? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's been established that he's very attractive, unfortunately. This whole passage was so funny. And she's like, I've realized that I have feelings for Tyrion. Now I'm just attracted to every man. Like, this is how it goes. And like, I feel you. It's hard. Through a very, very late uh, puberty. It's very hard. (laughs) And he wants her to, you know, be on his side for the cause and whatnot. And she does not trust or like him at all. Yeah, he's like, we'll install you on the throne. Mm-hmm. We are going to overthrow King Julian. Yeah, and she's um, like, do not want. Uh, and then she reads Tyrion? all his books and yeah, it, finds out that he's just like a dude for hire. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to get that cash. Yeah, he's an idiot and he left all of his like uh, highly sensitive financial information in there with her. <laughs> in her <laughs> like prison room yeah <laughs> she doesn't have anything else to do uh, but Very so she knows enough to like expose him basically um and uh, she really wants to find out where Tyrion is at can you remind me how she gets out so Greylent, that's his actual name is using Tyrion as a tool to um, force her to acquiesce to his demands Mm -hmm. and be installed as queen because he's saying, yeah, we do have him, but we haven't hurt him, Mm -hmm. but we need you to do this or like something could happen to him. Yeah. Um, and then she is sleeping, wakes up, totally oh, freaked yeah. out because there's someone in the room with her. And he just gets out. Tyrion. <laughs> it's him sitting at the foot of the bed. He used all his like secret um, henchman wiles yeah. to get through. And he stole magic. the doorman's keys so they can escape. And then they kiss. Yeah, she like really awkwardly kisses him. It's really funny. She like bugs. After they've like fallen onto the ground. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, but it's not like a cute like, oh, we've fallen and we're lying here together. Time to kiss. He's mm-hmm. like lifting his head up. So she hits her head against his. Yes. Yeah. yeah very, very cute. Good stuff. Um, And uh, they hop up. He frustrates her by being very ch- like cool about it. Um, but then as they're escaping, he kisses her again. Uh, so it's like, okay, like they're on the level, the stuff they were like worried about, about hierarchy and propriety and whatnot, like still exists. But I was glad that they were just like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and because they're in the cistern, I think. Yeah, they're, they're like underneath under, the castle. Under the city. Mm-hmm. Um, they can actually just take a route back up to mm-hmm. the North Ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what they do together. And she finally manages to get to the warden's door mm-hmm. and open it with her key. Yeah, because Hilarion gave her a key. It looks very pretty. It's glass. She wears it like a necklace. It's, and I mean, I would, I would also wear yeah, a glass key as a necklace. She... Uh, so the passage or the chamber there is filled with smoke because of the time um mishmash. Yeah, because of the time discontinuity. Mm-hmm. And, and because there was the great fire there mm-hmm. when the rift opened. Yeah, when Presbyrian uh tore the rift. So she uses her magic to whoosh it away because her interior can't breathe. Um they are both covered in filth and ash, uh, and they continue onwards. And there's a lot of uh, just disruption from magical forces at this point for a minute. Um, But they get up to the rift and Minari is there. 
Um, and it interestingly, a lot earlier on, someone said... Um, well, Minari shows up behind them because she couldn't get in until they'd opened the door. But she had been like lying right. and wait. Right. Uh, yeah, when Tyrion was like, better not lock the door. We might have to leave in a hurry. I was mm-hmm. like, God, no, lock yeah, the door. You should lock the door. <laughs> there's a reason there's only one key. And like, I think you should keep it tight, keep it secure. Yeah. I, um, so they, at the college, they had thought that Minari was the warden of the North because she was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really good thing she's not because she's, her alignment is very evil. Um, yeah. But so that kind and she of just wants control like over all living beings. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. thought it was so interesting that she's connected to animals, but it's because she wants to use them as her minions. Like yeah. typically that's really coded as a good character mm-hmm. who's connected yeah. to magic and the animals like them, but she's just like exercising her iron will over them. Yeah. Yeah. They, she just wants to make other beings her slaves mm-hmm. um, or her puppets rather. And, uh, she says a bunch of mean stuff to Minari, <laughs> or sorry, to Ferris, because uh, that's what Minari does. She got out of the labyrinth because during the, when they were first near the rift, something kind of came out of it mm-hmm. and it just overloaded all the magic taking place in the area. So she was able to escape. Yeah. And what Ferris realizes she needs to do to close the rift is uh, feed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she starts giving it things, uh, memory, magic, uh, like whatever she can, including Minari, uh, the rift like sucks her magic in and then sucks Minari in and it, everyone's like, great. She's gone. Stay, stay dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she even has to give it her, uh, like memories and emotions about Galazon yeah. because they're like very powerful which is heartbreaking, um, but she doesn't give it her memories or feelings about Tyrion. Um, and uh, that manages to close it. Yep. And then the other wardens show up. Oh, yeah. And, like, let themselves pass on because mm-hmm. they've had to stay while their bodies disintegrate and Mm -hmm. they grow older and older and older until the rift was repaired Mm -hmm. um so hilarion like comes by and is like "Ah," and does his little (laughs) escape into the ether and he like does something sneaky Mm -hmm. too as he's going Mm -hmm. um after the after the rift is closed, the king shows up with yeah. his guards. And, and Brinker. Yeah, and he's, like, very mad, the king is, and he wants to uh, kill Ferris. And Brinker is actually, like, very, like, no, like, mm-hmm. don't don't kill Ferris. So it's one of those things, yeah. like, they're family. Yeah, it's one of those moments where he shows that, like, he does actually care in some capacity, mm-hmm. whatever way he can. Like, it, right. He has a lot of personality it, it, issues. Yeah, yeah, in his Brinker way. He's trying. Um, so despite Brinker screaming, uh, the guards fire, and Tyrion... Uh, defends Ferris using himself as a meat shield. He gets shot and they have like a sad moment uh, as he like immediately dies. He must've got shot in like yeah, he the neck or something. <laughs> like, um, and then uh, it's a huge bummer. I was really sad when he died. His last words are, it's going to snow. 
was like, oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and also because it's linked to her. Yeah, magic. winter is linked to Galazon and she's to the Ferris one the north. and the north. It's really lovely. Um, That's and then end. right away, the king stops talking. He just like goes completely silent, doesn't do anything, and. So the situation is pretty quickly taken back and over by our hero, except for Tyrion because he's dead. Um, and then Ferris just like lays there with his dead body with the lions around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty metal. It, it is, honestly. Yeah. It's great. It was reminding me of um, The Forgotten Beasts of Eld uh, in some ways, okay. a book I also yeah. really love. Yeah. So eventually she wakes up in like the grandest room in the palace. Um, Reed brings in uh, Tyrion's like items um, and she gets really sad and, but, you know, hangs on to them, obviously. And Brinker kind of does a whole monologue of like, I did, you know, raise taxes so I could pay your dowry to mm-hmm. the king so that he'd marry you because I really had to convince him because you seem like a lot and <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, and then that kind of sets in motion Ferris deciding that she is going to take Brinker and Agnes's baby yep. and raise her as her heir. They named her Prosperion. In Galazon <laughs> and will be fully exiling Brinker and Agnes. Yeah, to like Switzerland. And I really wish we could have seen Agnes's reaction to that because I don't like Agnes. I know. <laughs> she does find out that Ferris killed her sister. It's really dark that moment where Ferris is where she's like where's Minari and Ferris is like I killed her <laughs> I killed Minari and just like, ah! <laughs> it's really great yeah and Breaker was like well that was <laughs> I know he's basically like yeah well it seemed like you guys did hate each other <laughs> um and uh, during this time, the king is just like ghosting around. And Everyone's he's very like, calm when yeah. Ferris talks to him, and is basically mm-hmm. like, "Do whatever you want. I don't care." Mm-hmm. Yeah, very different guy from the previous king. Yes, and so Ferris goes up to like the ramparts to look into the distance, um, and uh, she like catches out of the corner eye the king coming up and at first she's like why can't he just leave me alone like I don't want to see him he killed my boo and uh Tyrion comes up behind her and uh, he basically the king okay yeah it's the king but it's also Tyrion that's what we find out I know I just (laughs) want to deliver it more explicitly no 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 um and this really made me think of uh, Wesley from Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember exactly what he says, but it's basically like a as you wish, as you wish. type thing. Um, and she, without turning around, she's like, oh my God, you're Tyrion. <laughs> How are you Tyrion? And they realized that it was uh, Hilarion did something hilarious. He just like swapped their spirits. He killed the king. And Tyrion <laughs> says, when I got to the body, it was empty. <laughs> so he 
Wow. Just <laughs> took the life out of him and made a vessel for Tyrion. So I assume the king's spirit was put into Tyrion's dead body. Which, yeah. Or it's just out there floating around, which is scary. <laughs> well, he sucked. <laughs> right. I don't want him. Like, he could be here now. With us. No, don't call him. <laughs> Um, and they decide... It's a new version of, um, what was the, like, don't look in the mirror and say her name or she'll appear, like, yeah, like, sleepover game, like, King Julian, King Julian, King Julian. It's way worse, honestly. And then an alcoholic, crappy dude will appear. Try to marry you. I'd rather deal with Bloody Mary. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted you. And uh, Tyrion's like, please help me. I'm the king now. And I'm old. Yeah. He's like really sad that he's been given this body that hasn't been taken great care mm-hmm. of and has yeah. problems. He's like, I've got his limp. I've got his wheeze. I've got his age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's not dead. Yes, he's not dead. And he can be with Ferris now. And if Ferris is like, okay, I'll stay with you. I'll help you be king and we can like we'll work together, do the good stuff mm-hmm. that I want to do. Um, and I did think it was funny that like from Switzerland, I'm sure Breaker would just be like, hmm. <laughs> well, because they're not going to get married. Yeah. Um, Ferris has said again and again, I love that both she and Jane like voice this to one another. Um and say, I, I never intend to marry. And people are always mm-hmm. like, you're young. Yeah, it'll change. And I mean, that did happen to us. But um, but I, yeah, it, I mean, it's a slightly different scenario. Um, so they will work together. They'll probably have some kind of relationship in secret, but mm-hmm. they'll remain separate also. Yeah. I know. Sometimes I think about the younger me being like, gross, marriage and... Um, I did end up getting married, we but did there was change our tunes. But you know, it was an insurance table. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> These are the things that you don't have to think about when you're young. Yeah, and I think, a, and also love. And I think I assumed that marriage meant you had to have babies, also. Well, right, and I think for me, I mean, not, and I don't want to downplay how cool it is that Ferris and Jane do hold true to this and I like that they make that kind of promise to each other although mm-hmm. I secretly hoped that Jane and Ferris were going to be getting together uh, okay especially because there were parts of the book where I felt like there was some that kind of tension between them in that way um, but you know friendship is complicated <laughs> and sometimes maybe you don't want to like sexually be together but you can still have like really strong feelings mm-hmm. that can read that way yeah um, but what I was going to say is, sorry, I got too distracted by my shipping. <laughs> no, as soon as Tyrion I showed up, relentless. I was like, that's the, that's the romantic interest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, I was just going to say like the thing about marriage that I've learned is that it doesn't have to look like any one thing. And mm-hmm. I used to think of it as existing in like this historical, oppressive, patriarchal way. Yeah. But marriage can be whatever you and your partner want it to look like. So yeah. that was an important thing for me to realize. And maybe for Ferris, marriage looks like not being married to your dead lover who's in the king's body, a body that you don't probably want to be like touching. 
He can work on it. No, certainly. But I, <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean like that body is gross. I mean, she has these gross connotations totally. of him. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and now he's trapped in his like flesh shell. No, yeah. I, yeah. A really crazy ending. It's Yeah, it's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the very end is actually Ferris going to Greenlaw disguised as Jane mm. um, to destroy the key to the warden's gate. Which is probably a good idea. Yeah. Summary achieved. Wow. <sighs> good job. Yay. So all the new impressions. Um, I'm curious. You mentioned that the cover was evoking some memories for you and there was a specific book you were thinking of, but I'm having a feeling it wasn't this book based on our conversations about it. No. and it's, Did you figure out what it was? No, but no. I that other book also had a quote on the cover. From Jane Yolen about Harry Potter? Not from Jane Yolen, but it was someone being like, this is better than Harry Potter. Well, we've covered, a f- well, we've a bunch it's, of them I know, say it's it. always so on that's, there. Yeah. You know, this series has made kind billions of, of dollars. That's where it's kind of hard but to narrow it down. And it's unfortunately, marketing. I think that quote maybe like hurt this book's reception because I don't think it should be compared to Harry Potter because someone who likes Harry Potter and read this book looking for something similar, I think would be disappointed by it. And I think that's also why this book has kind of like polarized responses. Um, I won't talk about Goodreads too much, uh, (laughs) but it only has a 3.7 on Goodreads. Um, And there are some like very snotty reviews. Um, Really? Yeah. I think this book is for lovers of the metaphysical Mm -hmm. and of the like gentle (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. and of the like gradual unfolding and even like hinting at instead of clear depiction of plot. (laughs) And, and so I think there are people who would find it meandering, like based on some of the things I've seen people say about it. But I think that those of us who this book is for really love it. It reminds me of kind of like a, a stream one that gets, Mm. you know, maybe like into an eddy at one point, but Mm. always continues forward with purpose. Yeah. No, it's I, a I beautiful way to describe it. Quite a lot. I I like this book a lot. Yeah, I I really adored it, and I found it really compelling. I mean, I I didn't want to put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it is, it's not a book about a magical school. I mean, hilariously, it's a book about a school where you're not allowed to do magic, which is a way that it made me kind of think of um, Witch Week, where they're in an alternate universe where there isn't supposed to be magic, but there is. Mm -hmm. So everything is a disaster, but no one like will ever use it or Mm -hmm. address it yeah um but i thought it was so fun to have a school where magic is stronger and more accessible but they're not going instructors are not going to explicitly talk about it and the students have to come to it in their own way like it has to be an individual process so there isn't a 
curriculum that's going to make sense for instructing them in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the approach to mat- magic overall was just so interesting. Yeah, and I do. Well, I've talked about this before, but I, I think all experiences in magic are extremely individualized um, because it's like the connection between like the self and Mm. the rest of reality. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't really build that without building it in yourself, Yeah, you know? And it's like, it's going to look so different for every person because everyone's, uh, experiencing their own different reality basically. Yeah. Um, so I, in general, I like this approach to magic so much more Mm -hmm. and it's also because it feels so much more real. Like, yeah, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. It's, it's much more plausible. Mm -hmm. It's much more, I mean, this book is very centered in our world Mm -hmm. as well, like in our Europe. Yeah. Um, and it's set around the turn of the century, the beginning of the 20th century, mm-hmm. um, which we we only know for certain. I mean, it has a very like Victorian feel to it. Mm-hmm. And Carolyn Stevermer writes um, historical fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that piece is like pretty apparent throughout from the technology and things. But then in Jane's, we haven't even mentioned this because Jane is a spy. Yeah. <laughs> in for her She's uncle. A British spy. <laughs> cool. um, so she has like a wonderful political discussion tract um that's been like disseminated to her Mm -hmm. from the british government that's about like the state of politics in uh, um I, I can't even say Aravis, Avaris. I don't know what's wrong with us. Like, how can I not remember the name? I'm not going to try. Of this place, Aravis, Aravis. Um, and it says that the population as of 1908 is X. So we know that we're like firmly in the first decade of the 20th century. Yeah. Um, and they have cars. Yeah, so we have cars, we have guns, but we don't have, you know, phones or televisions. Um, There are records, you know, gramophones and the Mm -hmm. like. Um, But that also all conspires to create this, like, beautiful, hazy, sort of distant memory of a version of our world where this really happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just far enough back in the past to feel pretty accessible. Um, Not so far back that it's like, oh, it was another time. Um, So, yeah, it's just really enchanting, truly. Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry I talked over your new impression so much. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to mention? No, I thought that was kind of like a in-concert new impression. No, for sure. (laughs) And the funny thing is I, I... did read this as a child, but I had a lot more trouble with it. Mm. Um, I think I was too young. I think it is a very, like we've said, subtle book. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to even understand some of the things that have happened as a young reader that aren't really explicitly spelled out. I wouldn't have understood this if I read it when I was younger. I would have missed everything and been bored. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did like find it a slow read. But I also did enjoy a lot about it. I loved the female protagonist. Mm -hmm. I loved the 
that she's like kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, like from the start, she's she's sort of awkward, but like confident. And I love that combination of like clumsy confidence um, and just like too too tall, just like too tall for anything, which is something that yeah. I could relate to <laughs> as a 13 year old. People make fun of her for having a long nose. I know, but I love that it's worked into the prose too. Like she's very often craning her neck so that she can look down her long nose yeah. <laughs> at someone and use it to her advantage. Um, and I also they did not give her a long nose in this picture. No, she has, she has like a, a small, teeny, tiny, yeah, little pixie nose, yeah, elfin nose. <laughs> I also really loved the friendships and I think when I was younger I loved reading school stories particularly about people with close friend groups at boarding schools um but, you know partly because like at that point I didn't have that um so it was appealing to imagine and I love the way that Ferris is eventually taken in by Jane's group and the mm-hmm. fact that they spend school at this funny place where like the goal is to come into yourself more than anything else um like really enabling each other to do just that Mm -hmm. like they do some studying but I think what's more important is that they read the three volume romance novels and have tea and cakes that Jane has had shipped from the UK (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. I like thinking about uh, university as that a lot more because like I, (laughs) it would have been good if I would have had more time for the coming into oneself and also more time for my studies because doing both at the same time was a detriment to both endeavors. Agree. It didn't work well for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I did better at one than the other. I'll leave you to guess which that was. (laughs) <laughs> I did and variably if you get a look at my transcript you'll know <laughs> hey you know what doesn't matter ever again <laughs> no I mean not for me yeah I mean when I got this job they asked for your transcript to keep it on file and I was like have my law school transcript <laughs> I don't have another one see no now you're good like yeah. for you it's really gone <laughs> no and truly like it, it it has been interesting to see I mean I technically work in the tech field because I have a marketing agency, but not in the way that most people who work in tech work in tech. We're not mining your data. We're not building AI. We're just helping small businesses succeed. Grace (laughs) sells data to the feds. (laughs) Anyway, um, the more I see like a lot of bigger companies in tech saying like we don't even care if you graduated college like tell us about what your experience has been like and what your skill set is like that's really more important Um, and in some ways we have moved more into a place where like technical degrees are more telling than like a bachelor's for example more Um, more professionally useful yeah certainly yeah um, anyway, so I, I, I did love this type of school being like an equal evaluation of the two, like, like mm. you mentioned, and there's so many great passages where Ferris says that she recognizes the ways in which leisure and schoolwork 
like enhance one another. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I can't say it as good as Carolyn Stebermer's prose because her writing is really, really beautiful. Her writing's quite good. And there are some lines that will really stay with me. I love whenever Ferris described having a low bubble of hilarity in her throat, which yeah. would happen when she was feeling very emotionally overwhelmed and is such a good way to get at that like nervous laughter yep. tick I and response. I know exactly what that feels like <laughs> as soon as she said it. Totally. Um, And the way that she, yeah, the way that all of her emotions are articulated, that her anger is lying dormant inside her until it becomes like a hot whip that Mm. she can yield. um, And that she also recognizes the ways in which the anger can be both productive, but also detrimental. And how she feels that she failed that really tricky sleigh ride with Brinker because he was trying to prompt some sort of outsized emotional response in her Mm -hmm. and it prevented her from beginning or yeah beginning to get an answer to her tax questions that he was evading so well Um, because after that the conversation's over I mean he's in the snow she's riding in the snow like galloping away with the horses um and she gets so angry that she actually has to then go out by herself and ride some more just to like work it all out. And if I could have access to a horse and a snowy countryside every time I was having an angry day, that would be... I like riding. That would be nice. That would be very helpful. Um, When I let my anger boil inside me, it's... (laughs) Like a nuclear explosion followed by a very intense panic attack. (laughs) Or maybe a portion of your intestine flipping over. (laughs) Yeah, that happened recently. (laughs) That's where I'm at with my anger. Yeah, our bodies have been through a lot this month. (laughs) But we're okay. So all of that was so appealing and it was really different from a lot of books that I've read. And Caroline Stebermer, because she does so much historical fantasy, also writes that Victorian type of pretty speech really well, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I love when Jane and Ferris are trading witticisms back and forth. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of, like, metatextual stuff where they keep quoting um, Shakespeare and then also... Uh, other random novels like what? I love that they're all obsessed with reading and so yeah. they're always kind of talking about this stuff they've read um, but then they're also acknowledging like oh well we read a lot of silly things but then they can like break out all of these very specific quotes again and again and are, they keep referencing the English yeah play. what is, are they talking um, about Macbeth no because that's the Scottish yeah play. that's why I was like what <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna see you right now what comes up i mean no the phrase the english play doesn't do you think it's supposed to be like a play on that shakespeare was english yeah it could have been um but yeah i thought that was really funny yeah i don't i wasn't sure what that was (laughs) about um yeah and geography is so confused in this book and i actually i learned a phrase that i don't think i well, maybe not for a while if I heard this, um, because the Galazon series is described as a Ruritanian romance series. And that means, that means a series that's set, or, you know, a work of art that's set in fake Europe. 
Wait, like, there's more? Yeah, it's a trilogy. I said that at the beginning. Oh, I thought you meant the three books within the book. And and it's also a trilogy. But okay. I was referring to the three volumes within the book, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, so Ruritania is a fake country located in Europe that was created by the novelist Anthony Hope. Um, but then it became more popular and usually it would be stories that were like adventure or romance, like mm. sort of pulpy stuff, okay. um, very plot driven yeah. um, in dealing with uh, the aristocracy and the royalty. Um, so I feel like this is a fun little parody of some of that as well, because it does have all the fun, thrilling elements of those types of stories. Like we have spies, we have romance, we have like a school story, we have an evil nemesis and like mm -hmm. a wrongful king and a scheming uncle. But then I feel like Carolyn Stevermer in this incredible way decided to lay them all out in this much more gentle, subtle like we said, metaphysical approach instead mm -hmm. of everything being like really obvious and garish. Um, so I just feel like that's so smart and so well done. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, amazing book. I like yeah. it much more as an adult and I'm going to be wholeheartedly recommending this to people who like mm -hmm. fantasy, even people who don't read YA fantasy, because I think it functions on so many levels. And I'd love to reread it and just pay attention to the other like textual references. And I think it's it's one of the books we've read where I'm like, this reads more like an adult fantasy book. For sure. Yeah. Not just because of the length and pacing, but also the complexity. Yeah. Um, there's really a yeah. lot going on. And again, in the comparison to Harry Potter, like I get what J Jane Yolen was saying and I agree, um, but it's just so dramatically different. Mm -hmm. Like the structure yeah. couldn't be further from yeah. <laughs> that type of school book where it's very like regimented and we're moving neatly through time and space mm -hmm. and like following along in lessons and things like that. And I'm actually in a lot of ways, I was just so much more interested in this approach to growing up through a magic school by mm -hmm. studying all of these other subjects and then kind of finding the shape inside yourself of whatever is going to be your ultimate field of study. Sounds pretty nice, honestly. And the first way that Ferris sees any magic is when Jane turns a champagne cork into a, a dove. A sparrow, I think. Oh, a sparrow. Um, and then it flies up and away over the ocean, then turns back into a cork and just plummets into the sea yeah. <laughs> when it reaches the edge of Greenlaw's mm -hmm. magical wards. Um, and I uh, wish that I could see that. And it would be nice to have that be my first experience with magic. Yeah, I would just be like whipping birds at people all the time. <laughs> Someone's talking to me and I want to talk to you. Huh! Crow! <laughs> Pen crow. So there are some of the... Okay, let's talk about romantic realism because, yeah, there are a few relationships I want to talk about. Um, I, I love that there are so many female characters at all to begin with. And then the fact that, like, most of the most important relationships are between two women. Mm -hmm. um, like... 
we'll talk about Ferris and Tyrion, but first I do want to again talk about Ferris and Jane. <laughs> I loved Jane so much. I know that she also is like a take on a stereotypical sort of character, mm-hmm. like the perfectly dressed, well-mannered Brit abroad who's like, oh, just I have to work so hard to bring order to this place and I need to have my cakes posted to me. Um, And I simply always have to have my perfect stockings on hand. Mm. But she's so much deeper than that. And the fact that instead of wanting to, you know, go back and enter like a life of aristocracy or whatever would be next for her, she wants to teach at Greenlaw. Mm -hmm. And she's actually like really interested in the weird sort of outsider student who arrives late. Yeah. Um, And she just kind of, like, betrays what's expected of her at every turn, um, all while looking absolutely amazing Mm -hmm. and sporting only the finest. Um, And she's really good at also being disarming with the royalty and aristocracy Mm -hmm. and, like, having a veneer of manners, but then putting in, like, the right little barbs underneath. Um, And I just feel like Ferris wouldn't have gotten far without her like Tyrion's protecting her physically in some ways but Jane is her guide to entering the world she's an important party member and uh, she just offered a lot of humor throughout the book I will always think about her like being like I couldn't possibly pack it's too taxing and Ferris being like well I'll do it and then being like no 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 I'll do it (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna crumple everything um and I just love the two of them together and then Minari and Ferris are also a really interesting relationship not a romantic one but there's just like so much between them Mm -hmm. that it just feels it feels so potent and I love the scenes with the two of them together like Minari is horrible but she sees Ferris I think as like her only rightful foe like Mm -hmm. someone who has similar power to her but then she resents her so much for being in her eyes like lesser and not like titled and landed in the way that she is um so really loved the energy with both of them and then we have Tyrion and Ferris who develop (laughs) Madeline gives a wee clap Um, maybe you would like to talk about them I I liked their relationship a lot I thought that it was very um genuine and believable it had a lot of time and they went through a lot of stuff together um all while kind of both skirting the fact that they were interested in each other because it was not appropriate um and uh, I thought they just like made a really cute couple I liked Tyrion a lot I thought he was a great character we love a quiet man. Yeah. <laughs> quiet king. Who becomes quiet. a king. A quiet blonde king. Yeah. Um, and, and he never felt menacing. No. Like, which I think was really, that must have been hard to write because he shows up just like following her around all the time. I know, exactly. If yeah. that were happening to me, I would be like seeking professional um, supervision. Yeah. <laughs> that be? I'd be hiring, you know, a bodyguard. bodyguard. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no, it was like clear from the beginning that he was literally just there to protect her. And she started believing that so easily because he just gave off that air so much of like, well, he's probably going to show up and protect me. It'll be fine (laughs) if I do this. Yeah. And he, he was, 
he never crossed the line. Like they so obviously had such feeling for one another and it's very Jane Austen-y, like the, you know, beating of the heart or like a chance brush against one each another and it's like crackling with electricity. Totally. Um, yeah. But you can't touch. <laughs> Yeah, and she kissed him first awkwardly. So that is also important in this situation for like a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. And also she's old enough where it's not like... (laughs) Yeah. Which happens a lot in fantasy just because it's like medieval based. Totally. And she is, you know, supposed to be at Greenlaw for three years, leaves during her third year and then turns 21 at the end of the book. So she's Mm -hmm. like between 18 and 21 throughout the book. And he's also a a young guy, Mm -hmm. even though he has been married before. There's a really funny line where she's to Jane. She's like, what am I doing? He's married. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how it worked because divorce wasn't really a thing. Thing. So right. you're just like you just split married. You have to you have to kill them if you don't want to be married anymore. Or his ex-wife will never see him again. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean now he's living in a different body. He's good. And I I thought that thing at the end was really cute too. And I, I think he'll come around, like he'll he'll get happier about his situation instead of being dead. Like at least he gets to be with Ferris now. Yeah, and I can't imagine waking up and being like 35 years old older and also like in a body that has been having too much of the good life yeah we'll we'll say yeah um but I do like how like now they can be together and she's not they're not going to get married anyways Mm -hmm. and he's literally a king so it's not inappropriate for her to like be romantically involved with him yeah (laughs) no and I and I, I did love too that we get to see that Ferris is genuinely like attracted and has become like an adult and has come of age where she also like kisses Tommy boy and stuff. And it's like, Oh, well is kissed by him, yeah. but she's like, why did I like it? Why am I into this? Um, and I it's, just, it's okay. Thought that was so we've, funny. we've all fallen for a handsome rogue. <laughs> and I mean that scene that he pulled at the 12th night party yeah so good it's pretty funny yeah (laughs) so good wish that I had that kind of confidence who doesn't want to kiss him under a cistern in a mudroom you know (laughs) mudrooms fair question um yeah so I I totally agree I think Ferris and Tyrion's relationship was so well done and I love that they were reunited at the very end Animals, just like animals in animals? this book. Animals. Animals in the book. There are the creatures of the vigils. I think it's really funny that everyone expects to see like a perfect white dove yeah. fly and land on their palm at, you know, as the clock strikes midnight. And I thought it was so good that ferris's vigil i mean it definitely worked Mm -hmm. like but i don't know what quote-unquote like working or not working means because it's pretty obvious that you make of that night what about it was most important to you Mm -hmm. and like with the way that magic exists in this world there isn't going to be like you know a big pink bunny that like runs up and is like it's me your vigil bunny like oh my god (laughs) did you drop acid before your vigil (laughs) I'm starting to think of something like very obviously not natural. Yeah. Um, and she sees a flock of geese 
And she also sees stars that she names, but I, I didn't like look into what the meaning of those were or anything like that. Um, and they don't seem to come up again, but she tells the Dean what the stars names were. Um, and then Mannery turns Tyrion into a cat whose legs don't work. She also turns the sailor that she was like hooking up with and also, um, hiring as a sort of assassin into a rat and kills him. Dead rat. Um, she, she loves doing that kind of thing. It's very sinister. She (laughs) like gets all the foxes to do the hunt in return for letting them into a hen house. Also, did you catch that? Um, Oh, very dark. There's not going to be enough hens in there for 50 foxes. No, I know. I was thinking that too. It was like too many foxes. They need a better reward. Um, Yeah, a lot of the animals are really like centered around her because, like, we we already mentioned this. She is a sort of fascinating villain who has animals as her minions. Mm. Um, And she either like enchants people and turns them into animals so they're not truly animals. Like, Tyrion was very aware still when he was the cat and he was very scared yeah. of being trapped in this vessel mm-hmm. um, or is just like tricking animals using, you know, obvious ploys like food, mm-hmm. hens, <laughs> hen house. Um, but like there, there wasn't anyone other than the wild geese that appear throughout the story there wasn't anyone like sidekick or like no. special creature yeah. and we talked about the lions yeah the lions are amazing and i love that menory is like oh yeah the lions are cool they like me i like them but then at the end they're just like following ferris around yep. and um that that was also a forgotten beast of all moment where it's like yeah the big cats they know who's in charge <laughs> they're gonna just like slink about yep. while you sit in your ruined castle <laughs> calm down ruin so shall we on to pretend food pretend food could you hand me the book please yes did you Mark some pretend food spaces. Mm-hmm. I see the dog ears. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's quite marked. I'm one of those people who like, I know you shouldn't dog ear books, but I do tiny turns and I book. just, I like them a lot more than slips of paper or post-its or tags. Like there's some beautiful book marking on bookstagram and I marvel at it all and annotation and the way that people do it is very cool. But like, It's not what I like. I like to underline things in pencil um, and I like to create teeny tiny little dog ears in pages that I would like to return to. Throw me to the wolves. (laughs) Pretend food. (laughs) There is a lot of simple but meaningful pretend food in my opinion. It's largely like school food, travel food, that kind of thing. They do have some really nice meals when they're in Paris and there's an amazing moment where Reed at the end of their journey to Galazon is like, this job has been really interesting for a lot of reasons, but I think the thing I'll miss the most is that the food was really good. Yeah. (laughs) And I loved that. And I was like, Reed, I'm with you. I too would pursue temporary employment for the meals that I would be offered. In Paris? 
In Paris. <laughs> yeah. Good food. <laughs> and on like really cool old trains in fancy dining cars and yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. that's amazing. Um, when Ferris first gets to Greenlaw, she's told, I hear we are to have an English cook this year. I see it must be so because there's like a gray gross soup that has come out. So that's like a mean burn on <laughs> English food. And having just come back from London, I had incredible food there. So everybody can just relax. Um, and the school food is like pretty basic. There is a great moment where Ferris comes to the dining hall, but she's kind of late and such the Narrator says the artichokes had vanished before she'd arrived and she cherished a faint hope that her classmate disliked them, perhaps enough to barter for it. The first year agrees with Ferris, saying that it looks good, extremely good. If only I could remember how to eat one. (laughs) Taken down by an artichoke because it is stressful starting a rigorous academic program. I thought you were going to say it's stressful eating an artichoke. It is stressful eating an artichoke. (laughs) Well, it is a little stressful sometimes. It is tough because you just took it out of the pot and you want to eat it and you don't want to wait two hours for it to stop being lava inside of it. My partner isn't excited about artichokes. I always want to make them them. and he doesn't care. So I might just have to have Grace's artichoke time. And then a ramekin of butter with a little bit of lemon that you can and dip each piece I into. can steam them with garlic again now, which I love the little chopped up garlic bits that find their way into a steamed artichoke. It's so good. Okay. Madeline's angry. <laughs> um, when Ferris first meets Jane, she gives her tea and says, the tea's a bit stewed, I'm afraid, but that's your fault for distracting me. The milk may render it palatable. And that's the beginning of them hanging out together. And Jane also says, now sit down. I have a stem ginger cake from Fortnum's. And I went to Fortnum and Mason when I was in London and I brought Madeline some uh, um, Countess Grey caramel truffles and chocolate turtles. Very good. And I had never been to Fortnum and Mason. And wow, 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 wow. That's all I'll say. (laughs) And beyond that... um, Gunhild, their friend, is tricked into like meeting a sketchy sailor at a bar at night because he tells her that he can get her aquavit, which is a spirit from the northern European countries like Norway and Sweden. And I've had aquavit before. It's super, it's a clear liquor. It's really anisey. Um, it's really good in my opinion, um, but I appreciated it getting a shout out. I don't like anise flavor. I know you don't like a lot of things. <laughs> I'm Grace. <laughs> I love that Jane saves a bottle of champagne for the end of her time at Greenlaw after she graduates. Um, And she brings it um, with Ferris up to the top of the wall around the college and they sit together and have champagne. And that's when Jane's like, you really have to start paying attention to magic. And I just love that scene with the two of them, like that feeling with a close friend when it's at a turning point in one of your lives where like things are about to change, but you're just appreciating that you're together in that moment. Madeline's looking at me like how much food is there? (laughs) 
I do have a lot of little earmarks, but I just want to give like a, you know, general broad appreciation because I loved the specificity. And when you're writing historical fantasy, especially like where it's set in our world, you can just do so much with it Mm -hmm. where you're actually hearkening back to like specific dishes and stuff. But no butter pie. No 42th century butter pie. Um, Okay, I have to mention the plum cake. So uh, when they are first on the train, they don't have any food, they're starving, they've kind of like headed out in a rush. And Jane is like, will you please get down that hat box for me? And she says, yes, I packed up the last of Aunt Alice's Aunt, Aunt Alice, Alice's, I'll, I'll, I'll abandon my horrible British accent. I packed up the last of Aunt Alice's plum cake. It was the only food I could find on short notice, and it was much too good to leave for Dame Vallette or the students. And when, and then Tyrion slices the cake, which with like what's clearly a large like assassin's knife, yeah. which is amazing. And when Ferris tries the cake, she says. The cake was heavy, damp, and rather sparingly spiced. Traveling through the post had probably improved it. (laughs) But Ferris could not remember when she had tasted anything so good. And I really want plum cake now. That sounds so good. I'm not even sure, like, what it means exactly. I assume it's, you know, a moist cake that has, like, large pieces of plum in the batter. And hopefully and then a it's nice frosted. Uh, lots of molasses, I think, would be great. Yeah, it said it was a sticky, dark cake. Yeah. They, they keep having to eat, like, late-night dinners because Ferris, when they're in Paris, because Ferris in Paris is having to do all these tasks and also being chased by assassins and stuff. It's very challenging. Um, And they get back to their fancy hotel and she orders whatever room service has. It's like 3 a.m. And she gets a quote unquote mixed grill. (laughs) And Jane says, how can you eat kidneys in the middle of the night? She shuddered delicately. (laughs) I love thinking about Ferris just eating her little midnight kidneys. Do kidneys taste like liver? Um, no. Hmm. Kidneys are a lot more fibrous. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't like it. I love liver. I could eat liver all I day. love liver, too. We yeah. had chicken livers at a Lebanese restaurant that we went to in London. It was so nice. good. This place was amazing. Yeah, I won't keep you guys forever. I guess we can move on. Last thing I want to mention, the fact that when they get to Galazon, they have pancakes for literally every meal. Yes. And Jane is like losing her mind at one point and is ranting and is like, pancakes for breakfast, crepes for lunch, galettes for dinner. That honestly sounds incredible. It does sound good, but unfortunately it's also a sign of the fact that they don't have any money because they're being overtaxed so they can only afford pancake dishes. Yeah, so but they probably don't God, have like it made me want crepes. Cream and strawberries to put in the crepes. Maybe I'll make myself some birthday crepes next weekend. Oh, I love crepes. Get some Nutella and really go at it. So I give this I give this pretend food ten out of ten butter pies. It was amazing. We're both very hungry. So we're going to wrap things up by I'm drooling. Yep, me too. (laughs) Me too. So we're going to wrap things up, especially because this is going to be a long episode with our badass lady meter. We will select and rank our badass ladies. We are reclaiming the term badass lady. Mm -hmm. Would you like to go first? My badass lady is Tyrion. And uh, Tyrion, Tyrion. I rate Tyrion... 
a more comfortable body as a result of taking care of himself. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he's going to be undergoing like quite a fitness regimen. Um, yes. Also just because Tyrion is a sort of cat-like man. I know. And I feel like he's going to want to get back to that level of yeah. grace. Yes. My badass lady is Jane. In case you can't tell, I'm completely obsessed <laughs> with her. Can't stop talking about her. I like want her to be my friend. I'm also like kind of have a crush on her. Yep. Like I yep. don't know. No, that's that's coming through. <laughs> Madeline's like, yeah, yet another no, Jane. It's okay. I'm currently madly in love with a video game character, so I really can't judge. My rating for Jane is a fresh slice of uh, her aunt Alice's plum cake and a slice for me. Dang it. And I want to sit Give there and have it with her and she can read to me from her Bedeker, um, which is always <laughs> referring to. <laughs> I love Jane. Amazing. Um, we've talked a lot about Ferris and how magnificent she is too. Obviously she gets an honorary badass lady ranking, but yes. it's so honorary. We won't even say what it is because we have to end this episode. <laughs> This is a long one. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you love A College of Magics and Carolyn Stevermer, still don't know if I'm saying her name right. I'm so sorry. Please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod. I refuse to call it X. And you can find us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. You can also email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Come and check out my Instagram, Pig and Doodles, where I post my art and other stuff. P I G, the letter N D O O D L E S. We've been announcing our next books on Instagram and Twitter at the kind of beginning of each month <laughs> because everything's been so all over the place. And I think we're going to do that for October too. Um, we also have a new episode up on our Babetreon. If you are a Babetreon and haven't listened yet, or if you'd like to join, it's just $3 a month. And this month's episode was on the Ella Enchanted movie adaptation. So it's a fun one. Get to it. It's a mess. <laughs> it's the weirdest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> you can just find us on Patreon under Dragon Babies. We'll be back soon. Appreciate you all. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye.